0: Hello, my friends, and welcome once again to another episode of Anything Goes Symbols, Symbolism, Art and Conspiracy. What do all of those things have in common? Well, that's what I want to be able to talk about with you today. As an artist, I've spent many years dedicated to the academic studies of art, as well as the creation of art. And one of the things I can tell you I've gained in that experience is that, really, I would say the concept of originality is highly, highly rare at best, if not not truly existing in the first place. And the reason I say that is because the, the older I've gotten, the more I've experienced in life, the more I've come to realize most of the things we see in, these wor- in our world that we consider new and amazing. Is typically a reinterpretation of something we've already seen or an advancement on it Uh, and symbols are the same way before a child knows how to communicate with words or to write with words they learn how to scribble they see the world around them and they try to interpret it with marks Now sometimes you find those on your wall, um, as some of you who have kids have probably encountered with crayons down the hallway, or in a room, or markers on their own skin. But one thing is for sure, and that is, children innately observe the world visually and try to interpret those things visually. Before a child knows necessarily the words to say, they're already trying to draw things. And I think that's true for our ancient history of humanity. We look in France and in other places where we find these ancient cave drawings, or stone drawings if you consider like the aboriginal people in Australia. You see these marks made upon stone representing humanity deity, life of some sort, the heavens above, right? And these are all symbols that began somewhere and then we've continued to adopt them in different ways. For example, let's go with the basic shapes, right? We'll look at circle, square, triangle. How long have those been around and how often do you see them used in history? most children's drawings, when they're drawing a house, begins with a square for the house, a rectangle maybe for the door, and maybe a square or rectangle for the windows, a triangle on top for the roof, and maybe a little obscure rectangle for the chimney. When in culture, we see that. I mean, I think one of the most obvious things we look at when we're considering circles is the concept of stars, planets. Um, And now as we have the ability to look out into space, we see that things tend to have circular form to them, more or less. Not necessarily with things like asteroids where they're broken apart, but when you look at planets, and even the way galaxies are formed, circular patterns tend to emerge. And we also use that to represent the concept of time. Typically, if we think about the picture of a clock, right, we're thinking about a circle with lots of little lines segmented around and symbols we've all chosen to adopt to represent numbers and little pointers that point to the hour and minute and second For those who know analog, many of us may all be digital and do not know how to read analog. I have seen that in my classrooms with my students. Sometimes they don't know how to read analog clocks, but I digress. So we see these symbols used again and again to represent time, to represent space, to represent form, um, and to represent Places of dwelling, even. If I say, what's the biggest historical triangle you've ever seen on the planet? My assumption would be your thoughts would go to... Three large, triangular, stone structures dwelling in a desert. Pyramids. And that's to be expected... If you think about with Vikings, they tended to use these very triangular halls that they would meet in. Triangle forms exist. And we use them all the time and borrow from different places. So that's all great, right? Okay, cool. Thanks, Joseph, for telling us about shapes. What does that matter? (laughs) Well, that leads to symbolism. And symbolism in a general sense, is taking those symbols and attributing some sort of meaning and value to them. And we do that all the time. Uh, That's why we value the things we do. Um, A watch is only valuable to us for, well, I guess a couple of reasons these days. It used to be that a watch was about simply the value of keeping track of time so that you knew what time it was and if you had things to do you knew I'm going to go at this allotted time or meet my friends at this place at this time now obviously as we've made them fancier and fancier they've also carried a value on a very material nature but that's something for another time so symbolism we use constantly I am of the mindset that culture does not exist without symbolism. Our written language is, in my opinion, marks. We've come up with creative marks that are agreed upon in consensus to represent something. Some concept. uh, Some value. Some quantity. Some something. And so, we use it all the time. Our alphabets, our symbols that we've agreed would have a certain sound. So when you see that shape, you associate it with this sound for the letter, and this is how you use it. Um, with numbers, the same thing is true. We made random marks. At some point it was random, I think. And then we chose to attribute a certain value to it. And that's true with a lot of the things we do. We look at patterns all the time. We look at shapes all the time. And we give value all the time. For example, if I were to get you to imagine a very childlike drawing in your head. Imagine a child has got their, I don't know, whatever favorite crayon you like. And they draw a big circle on the paper. And they move into the inside of that circle and up towards the top part. They put two vertical lines next to each other, and underneath that, on more of a horizontal axis, they move to make a rather U-shaped line that follows the curve of the circle. Now what have I just had you envision in your head? You're probably going to say a smiley face, and that's fair. Because that's what we've given it value to mean. If you see this circle with these marks inside of it in this orientation, this represents happy, smile. That's how we have emojis. For those of you who remember it back before we had the actual graphics on the phones that did it, I remember when I was stationed out in Europe in the military and I had a Nokia, I don't even remember what it was, like 5510 or something like that. It was a little brick phone, and I remember when I wanted to text a feeling, if I didn't use words to do it, we would have to come up with these little graphical representations using symbols and shapes, numbers, the things that we had on a phone, to create that little bears or faces and all of that. So hence why we have things like colon and end parentheses becoming a smiley face. So symbolism, it's what we use, it's what we do all the time. And symbolism is used in art all the time. And I think this is where we start seeing some interesting things that come up. Because as we use art to represent greater concepts, we have to consolidate large ideas sometimes to some imagery on a canvas or in a 3D form of some sort, some drawing, something of 2D or 3D nature. And as we explain that, we help people to understand what they're experiencing, and if it becomes popularized, it becomes part of culture. And honestly, I think that's been where we've started to see some interesting things come out of it. I think about artists um, like Caravaggio. Caravaggio was one, and if you don't know who that is, that's okay. You can look it up. He's one of the master artists of the Renaissance. Um... But if you look at Caravaggio's work and you study it, one of the things you learn is that he was very keen on using symbols within his paintings, and he would hide things in the shadows that were speaking about a message he wanted to convey, but rather hidden, oftentimes talking about, um, even though he had patrons that were of the church, the Catholic church and all of that, he was not exactly a big fan. And so he would put symbols within his imagery that would speak to that, that would actually express his, his real feelings about the matter, but hidden within an image that looked to be very respectful to whoever the patron was. Uh, he was a bit of a rebel, but he's a great example of how we take concepts and symbols and shapes and marks and begin to create a more complicated thing around it. And you can go through many, many, many artists and see that. Uh, But the concept here that I'm interested in is looking at how all of this comes together to create culture and aspects of human existence. And so for me, all of this is fascinating because that also leads to things like conspiracy theories now whether or not you are one who is on that or not for me conspiracy theories are a guilty pleasure they are a source of entertainment and education in some ways now that may sound weird to hear that I'm not saying that every conspiracy um, is quality education but it does inform you of something And for me, I enjoy it because as an artist who appreciates symbols and symbolism and how that builds the culture we live in, the idea of conspiracy theories really kind of falls right in. um, Because they're taking concepts, ideas, forms, shapes, symbols that have existed in culture and creating this creation of sorts, (laughs) to sound rather redundant there, um, that talks about a greater concept. And it's fascinating. It's a great study of the human psychology that goes on. The human psyche, I mean. And uh, I think it's something that I would encourage more people to do if they have the means by which to do so and um, don't get too worked up about it. I know for some people looking at conspiracies, if you come in automatically with a defensiveness, you may not get as much uh, enjoyment and experience out of it. For example, I think one of the latest conspiracies that I've seen emerge has been around COVID-19 and I'm sure you've If you've been on social media and if you've been on YouTube and things like that, especially YouTube, um, you find that conspiratorial stuff pop up. And so what I'm talking about is with regard to COVID-19. And COVID-19 being a manufactured disease, according to this conspiracy theory I've seen, a manufactured disease, whether or not that's true is not the point here. It's just addressing what's been shown. So the the theory states that COVID-19 has been created in a lab. Um, There's some argument over where. But at any rate, it still is there. The other part of it is that it is now it has been said that this disease and I'm, I'm not sure of the mechanics of it. I try not to think about the logic around it because then it falls apart. I try to suspend reality, much like watching a movie, to try and understand what they're getting to. So the theory would state that people are taking this manufactured disease, according to the conspiracy theory... And somehow putting it in an apparatus that is attached to 5G cell phone towers. And those 5G cell phone towers are dispersing COVID-19 into society. And the argument being is the reason they're doing that is because they are trying to reduce human population down to something manageable like 500 million. Half a billion people. Now, these concepts that you're hearing, you've probably heard before in other conspiracies. And that's what I would expect you would realize. That's how this tends to happen. Just like in artwork, we adopt symbols and ideas from other cultures, other times, and reinterpret them. It's the same thing you see in conspiracy theories. Uh, You hear things like Illuminati again and again and again. You hear terms like Bilderbergs or Bilderberg Group. Again and again and again, um, you hear about Anunnaki and all these things when they get into like alien stuff. But these these themes emerge and reoccur, and to me, I find it very fascinating. Not because I really believe it, but more so because to me, what I'm seeing is, in a way, it's like creating an artwork. Uh, in a way, it's like looking at L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology according to this thing, right? If if the joke was true that L. Ron Hubbard uh, created Scientology on a bet from a friend because he knew so much about faith and science fiction, then much like what that would be, it would be the same here. He is doing what a good artist does, or they are doing as a good artist does, which is to take heavy concepts And to try to consolidate them into already established and understood symbols, but maybe with a reinterpretation of meaning. And that's interesting. It's fascinating to me. Um, It requires a suspension of belief to be willing to look at that. And that's something I would attribute to a philosophy professor I had back in junior college in my associates. Um, I believe, if I remember his name right... uh, Luke Barber, he was a psychology professor, that, or not psychology, um, philosophy professor I had. And I remember one statement he said at the beginning of the semester, and it kind of stuck with me. It stuck with me all through the years. And that was this. My job in this class is to do one thing, and that is to g- shock you enough to get you to take your death grip off of your views just long enough to look at it from a few other perspectives and then if you want to put your death grip back on it by all means go ahead it's quirky it's kind of cheeky uh, but I like it because it's true In order to really begin to understand some things in in culture, and stuff like conspiracies or even looking at art and symbolism, it requires a suspension of your personal views for a moment to try and consider from other points of view. And isn't that a crazy concept, right? I mean, humans should never do that. Consider things from a different point of view, even if they don't agree. But I digress. (laughs) Well, friends, I could keep going on and on about this, because as I've already stated, I'm loquacious. I talk a lot, and I can talk for days. But here's the thing. We are a complex mixture of symbols and symbolism and beliefs and theories And this is what moves us to do what we do in the world. This is what motivates us, what inspires us, what challenges us, maybe frustrates us. But it's the reality of life. Maybe at some point um, I can sit down and do something more focused on conspiracy itself. Just because I find it to be so fascinating The, the way symbols and ideologies and... Um, concepts get mixed and remixed, um, it, it's, a, it's something that could be an entire episode to itself, just kind of the fascinating look at how those things form and what goes on in the mind in regard to that. But uh, in order to keep this from going too long, I think I will call it uh, an episode for today. And as always, I want to end by saying thank you for once again listening and joining me on this um, mental journey, this imaginary thing. I don't know what you want to call it. Something fun to do. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you guys and gals joining in with me on this. And if you find that you're enjoying my podcast, um, I certainly welcome any contributors we can do monthly donations you can find it on our or on my page for anchor Uh, there is a link there where you can do that also you can send me a message if maybe you have an idea for an episode or you'd like to speak as a guest on it Um, certainly shoot me a message I'm always happy to hear um, how the episodes are interesting to people or uh, some ideas you might have about something you'd like to hear Well, my friends, for now, I bid you adieu. Have a wonderful day. Keep curious, keep searching, keep questioning, keep creative, and by all means, keep yourself healthy and safe in this pandemic. Much love, my friends, and we will talk to you soon.